0: This is Sandy Vartharaja, co host of the Pulse Podcast. In this episode, I sat with Janine Vercy, the COO and co founder of Electra Health. Electra is on a mission to smash the menopause taboo by empowering 50 million women in the U.S. today navigating menopause with a full stack digital solution. Prior to Electra, Janine worked at Google, the White House in the Obama administration, the U.S. Department of Commerce, and City Block Health. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Janine. Thanks so much for joining us this morning.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. So my first question for you, super important, is that I found out you were employee number three at Insomnia Cookies. Were you like literally in the store cooking the cookies or were you delivering them? Like, tell us more.
1: So Insomnia Cookies was my first job in college and my first experience working with a startup. I was a freshman and I saw a post in you know the student union and was looking for a part-time baker between the hours of 10pm and 2am. And so I was actually working with the two founders who were seniors at the time. We had a rental kitchen on Chestnut Street and I was baking cookies, um, managing the store, cut my teeth, recruiting and trying to manage bike delivery folks, and then continued on to build with them and expand insomnia to new markets. And we did a deal with Tasty Delight, if anyone remembers that brand. And it was really just my my first exposure to working with a startup.
0: That's wild. Certainly a productive way to use 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Way more productive than I used (laughs) that hour block back in college. Just a few nights a week.
1: I still, you know, feel the nostalgia when I see the logos and the storefronts in different cities. I think they've done a phenomenal job.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great segue to, you know, you started your career working in super early stage startup. And then over your career, you've had a chance to work in both the public and the private sector. You've held positions at Google, the Obama administration, City Block Health, and so many more places. From your perspective, is it more impactful to have a career in the public or the private sector? And How have you navigated that career choice? I
1: joined the Obama White House as a summer fellow at HBS and then stayed on for two more years of public service. Even though I knew I wanted to be in digital health, I thought, well, you know, health and tech will be there when I emerge from the other side. I was working at the Commerce Department. I was a political appointee responsible for 15 direct reports, chief of staff of a federal agency, with a half a billion dollar budget and teams across the world. And that was frankly a ridiculous amount of responsibility for a recent MBA grad, but it really forces you to learn how to be a manager and to um, learn how to get things done in one of the most complicated environments. And so I actually think it can catalyze career development in really interesting ways in terms of impact There wasn't a day that I didn't feel the impact of what we did and the enormous scale. We were working on behalf of American businesses, helping them grow, export, and attract foreign direct investment. There's nothing like the impact of the federal government.
0: Definitely want to spend most of this conversation talking about your new venture, Electra Health, which is working in the menopause space. I think it'd be great to just level set a little bit. Can you walk us through what exactly menopause is?
1: Maybe I'll just back up for a quick second since we were just talking about my background and to connect the dots a little. So I did end up spending most of the past 10 years in digital health. And you and I overlapped at Citiblock, which is an incredible company. And I was really interested in focusing more specifically on women's health, knowing that there was this quote unquote femtech revolution happening um, and on a personal side, I'm one of three daughters. Both of my parents are physicians, so I've just grown up in and around women's health. In particular, my father is a urogynecologist, and so women's health at midlife and around menopause is just something I know a little bit more about. So fast forward to the time when I was looking into women's health and seeing so much of the innovation in the space concentrated in the realm around the reproductive window. And I think that that is fantastic. We need more of it, certainly, but it does leave this yawning gap as we think about women's health entering their forties and fifties and the next decades, the next half of their lives. Introduced to my co-founder through a friend and now investor, she's incredible. Her name is Alessandra Henderson. As well as our founding physician, who is a menopause specialist, OBGYN, to define it. Menopause is a moment in time. It represents 12 months without a menstrual period. But the transition itself can last for up to 10 years. And what most people think of when they think of menopause, especially if you're in your 30s, perhaps, is you may think of your mother or your elderly relatives in their 60s and 70s. They may well still experience symptoms of menopause. But what we're really focused on is when those symptoms and that transition begins to set in, which is in the early to mid 40s. And that phase is called perimenopause. And Generation X aged you know 40 to 55 are savvy consumers. They are used to having digital health for the most part at their uh, disposal in pregnancy, perhaps in parenting, and then they reach menopause and there is nothing out there for them. No trusted brand offering high quality education. Only 20% of OBGYNs are actually trained in menopause and residency, which is pretty appalling when you think about them being oftentimes the vanguard of women's health. 70% of women who seek help for their symptoms of menopause don't receive appropriate care. So there's a massive gap across education, community, and access to care. This matters because 80% of women report symptoms that affect their quality of life and the prevalence and the symptoms are staggering. We can go into that. Everyone thinks of hot flashes, which affects 80% or more of women, but there's actually 34 symptoms of menopause and they range from brain fog to painful sex. 50% of women post-menopause report painful sex. So just pausing to let that sink in for a minute and think about how disruptive that is to a person's quality of life. So that is why we focus on menopause, this massive unmet need, 50 million women in the U.S. going through the menopausal transition today. And then after the point of menopause, they spend the next third to half of their lives in a post-menopausal state.
0: The fact that you said only 20% of OB-GYNs are trained in menopausal care, why is that? I would assume that an OB-GYN should literally be trained on menopause and the care necessary there.
1: Electra's mission is to smash the menopause taboo, and that taboo affects the way that society perceives women as they age as irrelevant, as no longer you know, sexual beings post-fertility. And of course, that's nonsense. And we have examples of that everywhere we look that is changing, but it does pervade medical education, the delivery of care, in addition to the way that we think about aging women in society more broadly. So this is a neglected space. And that means there's also less data. PubMed has over a million articles referencing pregnancy and fewer than 10% mention menopause. In terms of medical training, this is something we pay a lot of attention to. One of our medical advisors, Dr. Lila Noctagal, is a true pioneer in this space. She is known worldwide for her expertise in estrogen therapy and menopause care. She's a professor at NYU and the former president of the North American Menopause Society. We think a lot about how do we improve provider training to ensure that women get better care, but the system is not well set up for it. So it's hard to counsel a woman around menopause, which is basically understanding the symptoms, understanding her needs. There isn't just one test that you can do. And frankly, the diagnostics in this space are lacking because hormone levels that Are fluctuating so heavily in menopause, don't give you an accurate read of what's happening at any given time. Short visits, it's not remunerated well. If you're in the field and making more money in procedural medicine or OB, then you can start to see where some of the systemic factors play a role.
0: Recently learned about hormone replacement therapy or HRT and its saga in the 90s and how that was a predominant form of treatment for perimenopausal and menopausal women. And then this bombshell report came out around cancer risk, and that sort of informed now the two to three subsequent decades of how we treat menopause. Can you walk through that a little bit more?
1: Absolutely. So HRT, as it's commonly known, is the use of supplementing hormones to balance out the hormones that are declining in a woman's body, predominantly estrogen and progesterone. In the 90s, HRT was prescribed to roughly 45% of menopausal women. So that's 18 million women. This number fell off a cliff after a study called the Women's Health Initiative, or the WHI study, was released in 2002. And the reason is because the initial findings suggested a higher risk of breast cancer, heart disease, and blood clots. And it led many women and many providers to abandon HRT basically overnight. The issue with the study, which has been, as you said, subsequently re-examined, and there's reams of data and research around this to show that for most women, most of the time, HRT is safe and effective, as with all drugs and medications. It is a benefit-risk analysis that has to be undertaken in the context of the individual health history to understand, you know, does this make sense for me? Why and why not? Sidebar, one of our goals at Electra is to educate women about their options and let them know what the research and the evidence has to say so they can make an informed decision. This study, the WHI study, looked at two specific types of hormones and those findings were generalized to all types of HRT And the subjects that they were given to were on average older and less healthy than the women to whom you would typically prescribe HRT. As a result of the media outcry nearly 20 years ago, the shift away from HRT has been really significant and it's caused a lot of confusion that we spend a lot of time trying to clear up both with providers and with patients. And today, the North American Menopause Society, the gold standard of medical research in the space says very explicitly that HRT is the first-line treatment for many moderate and severe symptoms of menopause, and it is safe and effective for most women experiencing those symptoms, particularly if they start HRT aged 60 or younger or within 10 years of that menopause itself.
0: It's now widely known that there are limitations to the study, and yet it has informed provider and caregiver behavior for decades now. So, just wanted to share some stats with the audience. In the next four years, so by 2025, 1.1 billion women are expected to be postmenopausal. So, that's one seventh of the world's population. Pregnancy is nine months, but menopause, the transition, as you mentioned, can last anywhere from four to 30 plus years. The space is valued at about $600 billion of spending opportunity globally. And yet, only 5% of femtech startups today address menopause. Why is that?
1: I think it goes back to that entrenched stigma and taboo, as well as there isn't very much data. Although this is changing, folks are paying attention and we're frankly thrilled to see new excitement and interest in the space. You know, so if you're someone in the audience who works at a health system or at a payer and you have menopausal women in your population, consider making that de-identified data available. It would be an incredible resource to help further innovation in this space. But where, you know, FemTech in general receives a fraction of attention and resources, menopause is a fraction or subset of that. And so we're headed in the right direction. We have seen previously stigmatized topics move mainstream. To name a couple, mental health is an enormous category. Erectile dysfunction as a very specific category, which affects you know, far, far fewer individuals than does menopause. So we're very confident that this is the time to be paying attention to solutions and innovation for 50% of the population.
0: You mentioned earlier that Gen X is a very powerful segment for a couple of reasons. They are the so called sandwich generation. They're controlling their children's spend and likely their parents were baby boomers, their spend. They have high purchasing power. They're very tech savvy. How do you think about targeting that population through marketing channels, through products, through tech?
1: Electra today offers virtual care, evidence based education, and supportive community. And these three pillars of care. Community and education are really essential to support women throughout their journey. In terms of the demographic, we are talking about women in their 40s and 50s and beyond. This is conservatively estimated at an $81 billion market in the US. It encompasses both spend on healthcare and also wellness. And as you pointed out, these women are key decision makers for healthcare spend in the family. They are also, and COVID, I think, has made this you know clear, essential to retain in the workforce. And so for employers who want to be on the right side of history, as well as, frankly, retain some of the highest performing folks in the labor force, it makes sense to really invest in solutions to support this demographic. We're seeing that employers are oftentimes still grappling with fertility benefits, parental leave, they're starting to think about caregivers and our demographic are exactly those caregivers in the sandwich generation. They're incredibly busy, which means that what we offer has to be available to them on demand when they need it. They can't just carve out you know, an hour a week at 7 p.m. to log on to participate in a group session. It really has to be on their schedule. And as I mentioned before, the space is really lacking in brand that represents high quality evidence-based education and curating what is, frankly, a really confusing and broad-reaching set of symptoms, recommendations. Most women don't know where to start. We hear time and again, why did no one tell me? I just need a roadmap. Where is the what to expect when you're expecting but for menopause? And so this is what Electra aims to provide
0: as the full-stack digital companion to a woman over the course of her journey. Okay, there's this consumer segment with a really strong need. And desire for a platform like Electra, but who pays? Payers who have vendor fatigue, they may not be interested in purchasing a menopause platform when there are dozens of diabetes, hypertension, COPD, et cetera. The list goes on and on of specialty-focused digital health solutions. Is there a cost burden on payers that we can quantify here?
1: One of Electra's advisors is Dr. Phil Sorel, who has done the seminal work on the economic burden of menopause. And his findings are that looking at 500,000 lives, the impact of untreated menopause symptoms costs $2,100 per woman per year. And that is just looking at hot flashes alone. So this is a truly massive space where we're seeing women with symptoms resulting in a cost to the healthcare system of four times their non-symptomatic peers. There is much more work to be done here But having come from a place like CityBlock and others where it's really important to make the argument around outcomes improvement and cost savings, I absolutely think that this is an untapped opportunity for payers. That being said, today women are taking matters into their own hands. They are the ones that are searching for solutions and looking for help. So we see this time and again, and to answer your earlier question about, you know, channels. The three things that women tend to do today is ask their doctor. We covered this, you know, enormous statistic where 70% of them leave dissatisfied. They search Dr. Google and there they'll find WebMD, they'll find perhaps academic journals, which are impenetrable even to the most savvy and educated consumer, and then a whole bunch of garbage that is frankly off-putting and a little scary. And then they turn to their friends women's health is inherently social. And what we find is that when women find Electra and they find our brand and our messaging and our mission to smash the taboo, they bring their friends along. And we've seen really sticky referral rates. So this is a direct-to-consumer strategy for Electra to begin with, but we are very confident that it has to be b 2 b to c ultimately in order to scale the opportunity to more women via employers and payers.
0: $2,100 per woman per year. That is stunning. Just to contextualize that for our listeners, that's on par with the cost to a payer for uncontrolled hypertension. Is that right? So, you know, there's an entire industry built up around heart health, around lowering your cholesterol, diet, etc. cetera. And here we are. And, and there's this area that continues to be stigmatized. It doesn't seem like there is yet a lot of movement in the payer space towards targeting this.
1: I think, you know, this audience is well aware of the verticalized offerings in consumer health, and there's a well-worn path of building a beloved consumer brand, building the data set around it, and being able to leverage that effectively towards enterprise channels that the customers. Intervening for women in the menopausal transition, so the 40s and 50s, is actually essential to preventing increased risk, which research is bearing out. In the later decades. So that includes dementia because estrogen is neuroprotective, and there's a marked decline in brain health as women go from pre-menopause to postmenopause. Dementia affects women at twice the rate it does men. Hot flashes are also associated with heart disease. And some women experience hot flashes for over seven to ten years osteoporosis. 25% of women over the age of 50 die as a result of an osteoporotic hip fracture. We're not paying attention to this, but intervening in those 40s and 50s is really essential to improving quality of life, health outcomes, and certainly reducing costs down the road. So I think there's a really interesting opportunity here around Medicare Advantage as individuals shift from commercial to Medicare
0: I have to admit as a woman listening to this this sounds terrifying like to live with hot flashes and headaches and potentially have my bones deteriorate over a period of 10 plus years even frankly you know talking to my mom about this she hesitates to open up I think you know I saw her go through one of the loneliest phases of her life when she was menopausal and we we have yet to talk about it so yeah. can we talk a little bit more about the experience of a woman going through menopause yeah,
1: I think you actually
0: raise a really excellent
1: point, which is these symptoms are something you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy and it's scary. It's associated with aging and all of that means that, you know, a lot of times folks would would rather not have the conversation, but that's actually, you know, the opposite of what we need to do. We need to speak up, we need to speak out, we need to normalize. This is a natural universal biological transition and It is the gateway to whoever you want to be in the next half of your life. And we talk to women all the time who speak about menopause as a real opportunity to reinvent themselves, to reframe their lives. Oftentimes, it coincides with those who have children becoming empty nesters and rediscovering that they have the opportunity to invest in themselves, to spend more time focusing on the things that they love, finding new passions. And I think, you know, Michelle Obama really said it best. She devoted the second episode of her podcast to menopause. So just an example of how the zeitgeist is really shifting the narrative. These are women who want to live well and thrive through menopause and beyond. And as a society, we love to see that. I think we're finally starting to celebrate the you know, 50-year-old, 60-year-old, 70-year-old woman and beyond, whether that's J Lo or Jane Fonda, you know, Michelle Obama certainly, and Vice President Kamala Harris are examples that come to mind. So I think that it is just important to talk about, you know, the positive reframing and the opportunity for getting through this transition, which can be managed. So that's another thing, right? We talked about this these symptoms, whether it's hot flashes or dry and brittle skin changes to hair, anxiety and depression. So on the emotional health front, up to 40% of women report anxiety and depression, which is really significant and not sort of paid attention to because this is about identity and who you are as a person. And so what Electra does and takes very seriously is a holistic integrative approach. It's part of our philosophy built with our founding physician, who I mentioned is an incredibly well-known OBGYN focusing on gynecology, but also has trained in integrative medicine and has a fellowship from the Andrew Weil Center at the University of Arizona, which is one of the world's best. So we take this holistic integrative approach to lifestyle change, what you can do today, what are actionable steps that you can do to manage your symptoms, and what are the treatment options, whether that's over-the-counter or supplements, and really pausing there to point out that there are supplements that have evidence behind them, and there are supplements that don't. And we are very specific and clear about what the research shows. And then there's, of course, a whole gamut of prescription treatment options, hormonal and non-hormonal. And so part of what we do at Electra is educate women around their options, think about their goals in an integrative holistic sense, and provide them with a roadmap to manage menopause and live well beyond.
0: So I think we've talked tactically around some of the different modalities that you're exploring to engage with users and empower them. But what is your vision around smashing the menopause taboo?
1: Electra is building a full stack digital solution to support women throughout their 10-year menopause transition. We empower women with access to evidence-based care, education, and community and thinking about you know, closing the loop end-to-end with care that is synchronous or asynchronous. And we've seen, we're very proud of having launched a telemedicine clinic that is live today with an NPS of 91. And also understanding the women's needs evolve over the course of this journey, because 47 is different from 52, is different from 57, which also has implications for LTV, by the way. But what we are most excited about is the opportunity to understand what the data will show us about predictive and preventative care and interventions that match women where they are. And so if you can help introduce a bone density exam that a woman doesn't know she should be having earlier, then you may be able to forestall that osteoporosis and that osteoporotic hip fracture decades from now. And that's where, you know, we get incredibly excited about this vision to help women live fearlessly through menopause and thrive beyond.
0: I love that. I love the reframing from, you know, many women see menopause as a milestone that marks the beginning of the end, rather. And now really empowering them to engage in preventative care, be proactive about taking charge of their care. Let's talk more about the business model today. So, is it your consumers who are paying out of pocket? Is there a plan to shift towards care reimbursement?
1: We offer virtual care that is HSA, FSA eligible, also for out-of-network reimbursement, which we've seen up to 70%, which would put the cost at at or less than a specialty copay. Obviously, expanding access is deeply important you do have to sequence these things. And it is a new and complicated space for some folks to get their arms around. I'm confident this is changing. So the path is really direct to consumers. They are the ones searching. They're the ones looking for solutions today. And then thinking about engaging with employers and payers There's great examples out of the UK, actually, where even though they're not responsible for the healthcare costs of their employees, they are already investing in solutions to help support women in the workforce with menopause, written into labor policy. It's being taught in schools, Santander Bank, which to me earned a, you know a massive amount of credibility, I think I'll never think of Santander Bank the same way. Offered menopause benefits to their female employees, which I think is fantastic and pioneering, and it is going to come in this country hopefully sooner rather than later.
0: And why the name Electra
1: Health? Ah, good question. So my amazing co-founder Alessandra Henderson was actually almost named Electra by her parents. And so that's where the name originated. And we think of it as really that sort of powerful alter ego that resonates with a woman who is, you know, fearless and powerful and able to be, you know, everything she wants to be as she looks to this transition and beyond
0: love that. And to reflect quickly on the business model conversation, I think this is a tried and true method for startups to scale. You go direct to consumer, learn what users want, find out what they're willing to pay for, drive growth and scale. And then, you know, when you have that evidence, it's so much easier to make the case to an employer that, hey, you should pay for this. Let's shift over to talking more about the product. So one of your value props is ongoing and whole person wellness, which you've already talked about. Rather than Providing care to folks seeking it reactively. What are your marketing strategies to acquire users preemptively? You know, you mentioned earlier that the funnel is go to your doctor, get a lackadaisical answer, go to Dr. Google, fall down the rabbit hole, and then go to your friends. And between that second and third step, that's a very critical moment, it sounds like, but also something that happens offline.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, what we have found, we have thousands of women in the electric community already who are highly engaged with our educational programming, regular virtual events, what we call the smash the taboo, which is basically a menopause 101 educational series. And we see really high engagement with those women and referrals. Women bring their friends along and the understanding that getting smart is more fun with friends really resonates. Most of our growth to date has been organic through the events, the word of mouth referrals, the press that we've gotten, and also some of the thought leaders who rallied behind us. So Katie Couric and Maria Shriver have actually both featured us in different ways in their newsletters, really leaning into those channels specifically around SEO because women are searching online and there is such a massive dearth of high-quality curated information. Uh, we're actually launching a brand new website in just a few weeks um, with a beautiful new brand, which is filled with rich content around menopause, the specific symptoms. So really going deep on the science, the options that are available for women, hormonal, non-hormonal, deeply referenced. But for us, the really important channels are word of mouth, partnering with mission aligned brands that are also focused on women in this demographic. And we've done that with folks like Susan G. Komen of New York, and others. So more activity on that front coming soon.
0: Yeah. I want to hone in on the group salon point because I think a lot of digital health solutions focus on the one-to-one communication between the provider and the patient, but there's still a lot of room for the one-to-many modalities like creating these social forums, both online and offline for patients to build community around themselves. So I think that can be really powerful for solutions that I feel like I've stuck on to. It's where that one-to-many element is in place, especially during the pandemic when we're all starved for social interaction outside of our immediate household, right?
1: Yeah, I think that that is an excellent point. So one thing that we learned really quickly is women really value hearing from the experts, medical experts. But when that is married with the lived experience of other women, it unlocks this powerful and frankly sticky experience because women want to know what does the evidence say, what should I be doing according to doctors who are trained and specialized in the space, and then actually you know did the supplement work for you or you know did you try hrt what did that look like and so it's essential to combine those two things and the best way to do it is in a group format one has to be really thoughtful about how to go about doing this because it can be a race to the bottom there are many facebook groups out there with you know 80,000 people and you know the level of sort of misinformation is really shocking and scary. So we think about this in terms of making sure that we're curating opportunities for one-to-many education and community with moderation and helping to unlock that sticky community experience.
0: So you've clearly built up a wonderful product. You have a very loyal, almost cult-like following, including myself, even though I'm not <laughs> your target demographic. Um, well, we but want a- all women to know about this, right? Yeah. Like,
1: I think you said this before, and I, I meant to reiterate that this shock of women when they hit oftentimes in their forties, but it can happen earlier and pre-menopause or with often for those experiencing cancer treatment are pushed into early menopause and it hits them like a ton of bricks. And the question is, why didn't anybody tell me? So we should absolutely be thinking about this and learning about it. We hear women who tell us they go to the emergency room multiple times because they think they're having a heart attack, not realizing that palpitations are a symptom. You should address palpitations with a healthcare provider, but you shouldn't also learn that it's a known menopause symptom for the first time after you've already been to the ED a couple of times.
0: And also the ED is a very scary place where oftentimes your care can feel commoditized because you're just on this conveyor belt of patients. So let's talk more about company culture. How many teammates do you have today and what are your hiring plans over the next three to six months?
1: So we are for FTE today. We are a small but incredibly mighty team. And then we also have amazing providers who work with us, physicians and nurse practitioners. And we work with some really amazing product design and technologists as well. So in terms of the next three to six months, we're leaning heavily into our marketing and our product development.
0: Well, this has been awesome. I do want to ask you one more question around your personal leadership journey. I can only imagine, even though you've had such a prolific career, that there were doubts along the way. I'm curious, as a woman, how do you manage that little voice in your head or potentially very real external voices and and continue to charge forward?
1: You know, I, I won't sugarcoat it. It is tough, you know, particularly building a startup in a pandemic and in a space that, while the problem is not new the solution that we are building is new. So there's a lot of, you know, traditionalists and incumbents. The the imposter syndrome, at least for me, is very real. It has been throughout my career. How do I manage it? I think with the help of incredible support around me, my partner, family, my friends, my co-founder. And one of the reasons I recommend oftentimes to folks who are starting out on their entrepreneurial journey to have a co-founder is so that you can really be that emotional support for one another. You know, yes, it's great when there is also a marriage of skill sets. But I think most importantly is to be that sort of rock solid emotional support for one another. And I'm very lucky to have that in Alessandra and also have invested in a coach, have a wonderful therapist. It does take time. It does take money. But I think that those are the tools I found that help me most try to combat that imposter syndrome and especially with the roller coaster of building a company you know keeping your eyes on the prize and then finally i'd say i feel really privileged to be building in this space where there is a true mission and every day we speak with women and we get you know emails and outreach that reinforces that what we're doing matters and is changing their lives. There's no better positive reinforcement when you've had a crappy day to see that hit your inbox and be reminded of like, yeah, this is this is why I'm doing this.
0: Well, I feel privileged and honored to be sharing this experience with you and your story with our listeners. You've been such an incredible mentor to me over the last several years. So I'm really excited to watch you and Electra scale over the coming years, no doubt with a lot of success. And we'll leave our listeners with this message that not every woman will give birth at some point in their lives. Not every woman will necessarily go on birth control. Not every woman will freeze their eggs or go on IVF. But every woman is going to go through menopause, many of them with really heavy symptoms that we still don't talk about. So I'm excited to see Electra totally disrupt that space.
1: Thank you, Sandy. We cherish your support. You've been a champion from the beginning, and I am a massive admirer of you as well. So I look forward to many more of these things to me